Hello, and welcome to another episode of Intelligence for Your Life, the podcast. Our guest this week is none other than Matthew Ferry, author of Quiet Mind, Epic Life. We're going to talk about the importance of a quiet mind. We're going to talk about what that means, how to get it, um, but also how to apply what he calls his rapid enlightenment process. We're going to talk about how to maintain a calm mind in the face of everyday stress, why our mind goes to the stressful places, uh, all of that stuff. This is such a dense episode in editing it, in uh, in just preparing the episode. I had to listen to the interview uh, about two or three times. So, Definitely, definitely plug in and and be willing to do some more work and, and listen to this more than once. I have, and I think you're going to get a lot out of it if you do. Uh, we're going to also have a couple quick pieces of intelligence coming up. But first, a quick word from our sponsors, including Rocket Mortgage. This part of Intelligence for Life, the podcast, is presented by Rocket Mortgage. When you need certainty in the home buying process with a loan that fits your life, Rocket can. Once again, thank you to our sponsors. Here we go with two quick pieces of intelligence. Centenarians are taking over the planet. In fact, the number of North Americans age 100 or older is up by 44% since the year 2000. In 1980, there were only 15,000 people 100 years or older in the U.S. But as of last year, there were over 92,000. And by the year 2060, there will be well over half a million centenarians. In the early 1900s, most people didn't live past the age of 50. So uh, we're all getting older. I guess we need to put away more for our retirement, but there you go. More centenarians than ever before. And uh, do you guys get migraines? Why do you get the headaches? Well, it could actually be from the leftovers that you ate. Chicken, fish, beef, and pork contain tyramine, which makes the blood vessels in your brain expand and contract and can trigger head pain in about 40% of migraine sufferers. The amount of tyramine in cooked meat continues to increase as the amino acids in the leftovers continue to break down. That means freshly roasted beef probably won't have enough tyramine to cause a headache, but using it for a sandwich a couple days later, that just might. That's why headache expert Dr. Merle Diamond recommends avoiding leftovers more than 48 hours old or freezing your leftovers because freezing halts the breakdown of amino acids. So there you go. Two quick pieces of intelligence. One is we got more centenarians, and the other uh, leftover meat has a chemical in it that increases tyramine when it uh, when uh, it causes headaches. So there you go. Check that out. Anyway, here we go. This is the important part. This is the reason y'all showed up. My interview with Matthew Ferry. Matthew Ferry, author. Most importantly, I mean, you you do a lot of things, right? But but most importantly, you're the author of the new book, Quiet Mind, Epic Life: Escape the Status Quo and Experience Enlightened Prosperity. Now, now there's some there's a lot of uh, gosh, the meditation in general as sort of pop science has really become very popular right now. This idea of quieting our minds, and I know why we need it, but why? What is the correlation? And it's the title of your book, so hopefully you can answer this easily. The correlation between a quiet mind and an epic life. Well, meditation is phenomenal, and I highly recommend it. I love it. I do it on a regular basis. But you can't meditate in a meeting, and you can't meditate right. when you've got uh, when you're in front of a client, or you can't meditate when your kids are throwing a temper tantrum. So the question becomes, how do you go into a peaceful, quiet, flowing state mm-hmm. during the chaos and the insanity of life? And the answer, unfortunately, is not meditate. The answer is actually more like recontextualize the situation so that you experience yourself as safe and and that life is good even though it might not be what you want 
So, okay, so so recontextualize the situation. I mean, that seems like... Uh, how, how do we begin to do that, I guess? It, 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 seems, it seems easier said than done, right? Yeah. Because, because, I mean, I've talked to a lot of people and I've read a lot of Stoics and, and the, the notion is that what you're experiencing is much more... Um, you, the quality of your life is much more your reaction to your experiences than your experiences themselves, right? Um, and and you, what you're talking about, Stokes talk about this, this idea of recontextualizing situations. So saying, I can't control this outcome. I have to accept it and decide how I react to it. Um, but you're saying sort of change the perce- perception of what is happening to me. So let's get granular on that. How do we begin to do that? And what does that look like for people who are really suffering right now? Well, it starts with this idea of rapid enlightenment, and and enlightenment is is really this context that mm. all is well. And when you step back, when you step way, way, way back in your life, you begin to see that actually everything that is happening in the world is is happening of its own, and that you have very little control, if any, of anything. Mm-hmm. What you have is influence over your situation, and the only thing that makes something not well is your opinion about it. So your okay. opinion is the source of your suffering. So in, in the rapid enlightenment process, what I have discerned is that we have to start by admitting that there is a drunk monkey in our head <laughs> that yeah. has opinions about everything, yeah. Yeah. including things it knows nothing about. Right. And the drunk monkey's insane. It's crazy. Right. The drunk monkey doesn't care about you. Right. Doesn't care about happiness and peace. Nobody else calls you fat or stupid or ugly. Nobody else is making fun of you, and oh, if they yeah. are, they're not, they're not your friend. Yeah, I mean, what would you? How would you? Tr- what would you do if a friend of yours talked to you the way that you talk to you? Is 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 something that I often like? It's a good mantra to remind yourself of, right? You you'd probably reject that friend. You wouldn't have them in your life anymore. And yet we listen to the drunk monkey in our head like it's a trusted advisor, right? right. Rather than a, an effective evolutionary piece of machinery. Mm-hmm. Thoughts and thinking happen whether you want them to or not. Right. And and they are an expression, typically, not all thoughts, but typically your thoughts are an expression of trying to survive. Right. And you're trying to survive in a situation that is not a survival situation. Right. Like typically what's going to kill people. Now, do we have a virus on that? Yes, we do. But And that's real and that's significant. But most people are going to die from what they eat. Yeah. And from their stress. Sure, 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 sure. Cancer and, and, and heart attack, that's going to kill, you know, the vast majority sure. of people. And and yet the mind will lament over everything else except for that. Mm-hmm. So when you step back and you start to see, oh, wow, I have this survival mechanism. Its job is to avoid pain, move me towards pleasure it is not dealing with things rationally. It's dealing with things instead uh, based on evolutionary programming and the programming from my environment. When you begin to call that talking in your head the drunk monkey, all of a sudden it becomes less relevant, less important, less urgent. And suddenly you find yourself giving giving yourself that little beat, that little, mm-hmm. hold on. All right, drunk monkey. I like to pet my head on a regular basis. Like, no, <laughs> drunk monkey. I know you're so yeah. scared. Yeah. yeah. You know, my heart rate goes up because um, somebody implies that I might be stupid or that I might uh, that I might be embarrassed by something. Mm-hmm. But it's like, you know, 
I'm not a pack animal, yet I am a pack animal. I'm not in a pack situation, yet I am a pack animal. Right. So by acknowledging that I've got these responses that are were really important when there were 30 or 40 of us, and we all had to stick together. And mm-hmm. if we didn't, I was dead. Sure. Really important. So when I start to acknowledge that the drunk monkey, the source of trying to fit in, having opinions about everything that, that, that even though it knows nothing about it, holding people accountable to agreements that they never made, um, trying to avoid failure, trying to be popular. Like these, these ideas are really, really important in actual survival situations. They are an impediment to my happiness, my joy, my peace, my creativity, my chutzpah, my resourcefulness. They're an impediment to all of that. So when I can see the drunk monkey for what it is, a survival mechanism, mm. it it automatically creates a recontextualization. Interesting. So so uh, what I'm hearing in there is that basically life has gotten too easy, right? We're not, I mean, too easy. Right? I, I, already in there, I'm inserting an opinion. Uh, life has gotten easy to the point that we are not facing these survival contexts, these real life and death survival contexts at the regularity with which we were designed, right? And then, so because of that, we are forcing ourselves into that context, right? By not even, yeah, not, but not mental. forcing, we might just say, we are, we are predisposed to, we, are, we are designed to survive and in this case, in non-survival situations, which creates a malfunction, and we experience that malfunction as stress and anxiety and freak out and, and upset. All of that is malfunction. There's no need for any of that stuff. Mm. It doesn't get you anywhere. Yeah, I wonder what people are going to think of me. I wonder people are going to reject me for this idea, and we make it because rejection in the context that you were describing before, rejection means being excommunicated, ostracized by your pack, and therefore left to die alone. Whereas now it just means that maybe find a new friend. Right, right. Okay, so I, I dig that. Is is the is the essence of this just the drunk monkey? I mean, can we get there just by acknowledging it? Is is or is that just the first step? I would I would say that's the first step. You admit that your mind is not your friend, mm-hmm. and that it doesn't care about you, and that it's automatic, and and it has these sort of default programs. Then the the second component of the rapid alignment process is to begin to acknowledge the motivation behind your thinking. Mm. And if you can get to the motivation and remove the motivation for the thought, your thoughts will stop happening automatically and repetitively. Why is he doing that? I need to do this. Well, no, don't forget this. Well, oh my gosh, I forgot. Oh, I need to make this money. And how am I going to write? It was like that, that nonstop chatter is actually a survival program. It's a, it's a process that happens when a threat state is present. And that threat state may just be like, remember to pay the bill tomorrow, or remember that your kid needs to do X, Y, and Z tomorrow. That the, the mind doesn't distinguish between the trivial and the, uh, the, the truly, um, threatening. Mm -hmm. So you, you start to look at, well, what are the motivations of the drunk monkey? And it turns out Greed, grudge, hatred, victim, illogical rules, humble, traitor, pride, resistance, mm. lazy. These, these drives are behind every thought that you have. Now, there, let's be honest. You know, we're, uh, we're, in the, we're in the more of a creative industry and field. 
And so there are certainly creative inspirations, um, visions, etc. But the vast majority of the thoughts that we have actually go back to what I like to call hidden motives to survive. And I talk about them in the book, Why Mind Epic Life. Greed, grudge, hatred, victim. I just gave you that whole list. If you can begin to see what the motivation is, first of all, the motivation won't make sense to you. Like when you see it, you'll think to yourself, what? Why? Right. And that, that awareness, by observing the mechanism, you actually shut down the illusion that something is actually threatening you. And when you do, boom you go into a much more peaceful state. And let's be honest, when you're peaceful, you're creative, you're free, you're resourceful, right. you're open, you're excited. And you get you're into energized. that state of that state of flow and creativity where, where your output, your efficiency goes up exponentially. I mean, what you're describing though, sounds like an incredible amount of discipline. And my experience is that things that require discipline require training that discipline. So how do I begin to get to that motivation? I mean, there are people who are in therapy for decades to figure out the underlying self-preservation thought that determines a, a lot of their behavior. Uh, and I know you're talking about, you know, whether you call it enlightenment, nirvana, um, you know, uh, psychological cleansing, however you want to frame this, but this idea of getting down to what is motivating these patterns of behavior that are not useful to me in the present. Uh, what is motivating this thought life that is holding me back from that state of flow that we were just talking about? Uh, that can require a tremendous amount of discipline and time how do we begin to get there? It's, what you're talking about sounds like you flick a switch, and I just want to make sure that I, you know. Do you have a shortcut, or is it just, <laughs> or is it just uh, getting no quiet, shortcuts, journaling? There right. are no shortcuts, right? Right. Uh, but um, one of the things that I, one of the, because I have spent 26 years being paid to be a coach and get and get results for people. Mm -hmm. I have had to get really honest and really, really discerning about what works and what doesn't work. Okay. Because if it didn't work, I didn't get paid. If it didn't work, I, I got fired. And so my ability to, to get people into that quiet mind state over the past few decades has increased exponentially. And in my app, so if you go to the, to the app store and you just type in my name, Matthew Ferry, in my app, I have a free 23-day, little six-minute-a-day reminder, a little process that as you just take in these four, five, six minutes, all of a sudden it shifts your context. And it is the exposure to high-conscious ideas that actually removes the, the survival-based information. It's the exposure to low conscious ideas. So let, let's distinguish high yeah, conscious please. and low conscious, right? So a high conscious idea is essentially a, a, an idea that includes more. So like the more you include, the more you see, and the more you accept, the more at peace you are, the higher your level of consciousness. The less you include, the less you accept, the more stressed you are because the world doesn't care. No one cares what you think. No mm -hmm. one cares what you want. So when you exclude things, no, I don't like that. I won't agree with that. That doesn't work for me. When you exclude, your consciousness goes down, meaning you don't see as much. 
and what you do see, you don't accept. So the, the lower your consciousness, the more anxiety, stress, mm. angst, fear you feel. The higher your consciousness, the more peace and flow and ease you feel. And it really, the, the, the game is exposure and acceptance. Like those are the two things. So in my app, what I do is I expose people to ideas that they don't normally get exposed to. Mm. And then I work with them to accept or practice really accepting that idea. It's, it takes practice accepting the idea. And when they do that, then they go into their day. And as they go into their day, everything seems just a tiny little bit different. Yeah. When we first started to understand that the world was round and not flat, all that happened was our perception changed. The perception then changed our behavior because our ideas about what were possible were expanded. So exposure and then practicing acceptance, those two things will actually dramatically modify someone's peace. This it seems to me, and maybe I'm maybe I'm off base here, but it seems to me that the idea of higher versus lower ideas is patterned on the hierarchy of needs, like whether whether you're deal if you're dealing with like survival, uh, lower lower hierarchy of needs concepts, then that's that's that low thinking, and then versus self actualization and 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 more complex societal notions. That's that's um, that's on the higher end? Let's even go farther than that. So Maslow was something that I really became obsessed with for a while because mm -hmm. I was trying to figure out how do I get these people out of these lower states of consciousness where they're dealing with an irrational need to survive in a non-survival situation? Yeah. And, and what I found is that even as we moved up into self-actualization, there were needs that were still present and there were needs around like once I'm self-actualized, then I'll be at peace, then everything will be okay. It's turned out that Maslow's entire hierarchy of needs was below the level of enlightenment. As you go into enlightenment, you actually begin a progressive realization that all is well. Nothing needs to change. I don't need anything. Nothing that I want is even me wanting it. I am an expression of what is occurring, and that expression has these, these volitions, these ideas that are coming through. So I'm, I'm getting a little heady here, but yeah. stick with me. At, when we're dealing with Maslow, we're down in survival. The, okay. whole, the whole triangle of Maslow, all the way up to self-actualization. Mm -hmm. Then you use the rapid enlightenment process to jump into an inverted triangle. And imagine, Maslow, you're coming up to the pinnacle. Got it. Then you flip, and now you expand into the infinite. And that infinite nature is the recognition that the source of life for you is the source of life for everyone and everything, that we're all one thing expressing itself with infinite variety. And when you begin to connect with that idea, your fears start to disappear. They don't go away immediately. They start to disappear. You progressively feel more peace, more flow, uh, flow 
or certainty or Floyd, either one. Flow, <laughs> certainty, joy. Sometimes I get my merds mixed up. I get so excited. But I really appreciated the work of Maslow. And it was a really important stepping stone. But my objective has always been to experience profound peace. Mm. And what I found was you got to distinguish the drunk monkey. Now, that was that was something that I learned in mindfulness, and it was phenomenal. But then I realized, wait a second, I can distinguish the drunk monkey, but my mind is still talking. Then I had to go and understand, well, what's the motivation of the mind to talk? And when I distinguished that, it started to quiet down really fast. Mm. Then I began to look at these higher levels of consciousness, and I began to connect with ideas that were strengthening to my physiology. So I, I, I studied a man named Dr. David Hawkins, and Dr. Hawkins did his entire PhD thesis work on the calibrated levels of consciousness, and how he calibrated these levels of consciousness was through this really interesting mechanism called applied kinesiology, something called muscle testing. That, that's the more common name. And what he found was is that Across the board, he could measure on a scale from one to a thousand the level, quote, level of consciousness of something by using a binary mechanism of, of pushing on somebody's arm. Did it go strong? Did it go weak? And I thought that was really fascinating. I studied it for, for decades. But then I had a breakthrough and I realized that what do we want we want to be strong. And sure. when we are strong, we feel safe. And when we feel safe, our mind doesn't need to talk. Our mind talks when we don't feel safe. Our mind is chatty in an unwanted way when we don't feel safe. So I began to apply the kinesiology, this, this muscle testing, to ideas. Mm. And I thought, well, what makes you strong? What makes you weak? And, and of course, we could we could be scientific about it, but that's really not the point. The objective here is to take on the dogma, death, birth, parents, family, kids, God, whatever, to take on the dogma, all the unprovable stuff and say, all right, it's unprovable. I admit it. Life after death, that is unprovable. There's sure. no possible way for us at this moment to distinguish if there's something like that or not. Mm -hmm. Does it make you strong? Does it make you weak? And it turns out that whatever strengthens you lends itself to your mind going quiet. And whatever weakens you puts you into a threatened state. Mm. I'm going to say something really interesting here. In my book, this is in chapter nine, I go through 36 different tests that changed my entire perception of reality. And I call these enlightened perspectives. And one of those perspectives, for example, goes strong on every single person I have ever tested this on hundreds of people now over the last couple of decades. And that is that you are a soul and that the soul is infinite, that you choose to come to earth. So these are things that are not, you and I, we can say, nobody knows. Mm -hmm. and, and we're rational enough to admit that. Sure. Nobody, nobody, I don't know, you don't know. But here's what I can tell you, is that if I say that statement, and then I push down on your arm, your arm will stay strong. If I say the statement, you have only lived one time, 
and you will never live again. Your arm goes weak. I'm not making your arm go strong or weak. Your arm just does that automatically. I don't know what it means. But what I will tell you is that when you begin to align yourself with strengthening ideas, your threat state disappears and your mind goes quiet. It's crazy. Is that so? I was going to ask you to give me some examples of what these higher ideas are. Is is that that idea of of the soul? Is that um... that's a that's an idea that has a very high level of consciousness. Meaning, uh, when you when you adopt that idea, it then puts you into a state where you say, "Oh wow, we're all one. We're all the same thing. We're mm -hmm. all you're like it doesn't matter what color you are or." where you're from or what you believe we are we're all sourced in whatever that is when we when we test for example on somebody's arm god cares it goes weak for 100% of all people god has an opinion goes weak for 100% of all people now that is profound because in the end when you when you are able to step back and say whatever, so it also tests strong that God is a background field of energy and information that all things are, are sourced in. That also goes strong. Hmm. But when you step back and, and begin to adopt, not because it's real, only because it's strong, not because you know, not because it's the truth. You don't lie to yourself. You admit, I don't know. But when you start to adopt ideas that are strengthening your entire perception of life changes and suddenly you feel connected to every person that you see you feel love for no reason you feel this embrace of life you look at the virus that is happening on the planet and when you adopt the idea that we are all infinite beings, mm -hmm. not because you know. So again, it's so important. You don't lie to yourself and pretend that you know. Sure. You instead say, as a, as a practical matter, I'm going to practice adopting this contextual framework and mm -hmm. see what happens. Mm -hmm. And when you do, suddenly you have tremendous compassion, but you also aren't scared. You aren't afraid. And that is profound. Yeah. I mean, what you're describing is a thought process that gets you to be both supreme, supremely empathetic, but, and also just, uh, I mean, there's, a, there's that sense that you are, there's a sense of universal flow that you're talking about, right? Where you are a part of something that is bigger than yourself and you can't be right or wrong because your isness, your, your ability to just be is contextualized in this broader tapestry. So therefore you just can't be wrong. Uh, is that, I mean, you, you, you are where you need to be because the universe is aligned to put you into this place at this time. Is, is that, is that part of it? Yeah, you're, you are, you are an expression of the probabilities that exist on the planet at this time. And what you're experiencing is an expression of the probabilities that you are. And that doesn't make what you experience bad or good or right or wrong. It just is. There's some background field of energy and information that that scientists are calling the quantum field. I'm not a scientist. okay? Mm -hmm. So don't don't listen to me like that. This is purely my conjecture. 
these things also test strong. So there's this background field of energy and information that all things are an expression of. There are, there's essentially electrons, there's up quarks and there's down quarks. That's mm -hmm. it. Then you have like about 26 variations or something of those things. They're all self-assembling into everything that we are mm -hmm. and experience and life is. Self-assembling. The idea that you're doing it turns out to be preposterous which is phenomenally liberating. Yeah, I was just, yes, it's very free, very free. Because then you can do what you're doing. It doesn't, it doesn't mean that you are, um, that suddenly it's like, well, I listened to uh, Matthew and Gibb and they gave me permission to do bad things. No, that's not what we're talking right, about. Right, here. right, 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 right. It's like when you connect with these things, you automatically feel more compelled to do things that are uplifting, inspiring, energizing, engaging. It's just, it's a natural consequence that you, that you stop doing things that degrade you and put sure. you into a survival state and you start doing things that uplift you and put you into a thriving state. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's, there's so much. Okay. So, so to your point, right, there's this, I, this is not permissive. That's low order thinking to say, Correct. uh, I can behave immorally because things are orchestrated by some, by this, this quantum field, by a higher power, by God himself, right? Like you, you can, it's not a permissive state. It is. It is this idea that since we are all connected, we uh, we are able to, and we should be leaning into this higher state of being, this feeling of connectedness, this feeling of empathy toward our fellow people. I mean, this this aligns. What's crazy is this aligns with almost every faith tradition I've ever heard. Right. This idea that uh, you know, when Jesus is asked, "What are the two greatest commandments? Love God and love people." Um, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but that's that's sort of the essence. But that's this idea: you connect to this vertical beam, right? This idea, this connectedness to this higher order, and that allows you to have this this um, uh, greater beam. connection to the horizontal beam to the people yep. around you because you acknowledge we are on the same plane together, um, and I mean that in the uh, you know plane, not not airplane. Yeah. Um, yeah, that is that is that is that is so profoundly interesting, and and uh, wow, uh, it's a it's a lot to unpack there. Okay, so um, so but I was what I'd like to say is that that is the third component of four in the rapid alignment process, and it, so it's going to lead us all the way back to your very first question. Great, Matthew. Thanks. Once again, you're telling us we need to recontextualize the situation. Right in order to uh, create a context that is that is empowering and and lets go of the survival state that turns out to be step 4 which is a skill set it's the skill of describing the conditions of, and circumstances of your life in a way that create an empowering response for you uh, Funny story that I heard somebody say, and I'm, I'm pretty sure I've modified it to, you know, fit my own needs, but three umpires, they're in a training session. You've got a master umpire, you have a, a novice and you have a experienced guy and the master umpires in the dugout with these two guys. And he's, and he's saying, all right, guys, I'm going to, we're going to do some training today. We're going to, you know, take your umpiring skills to the next level. And he says, but I want to start with this thought. And he looks at the two guys and he says, how do you call a strike? Now, the new guy just jumps right in. He's like, oh, okay, well, I will look where the pitcher's arm is. And then he's throwing it. I watch it, and it comes in. If it's in the strike zone, I call it a strike. And if it's not, I call it a ball. And the master umpire is shaking his head no. Now, both both the trainees are like, what? 
okay. And he says, what about you? And he asked the experienced guy and the experienced guy says, well, it's either in the strike zone or it's not. And I just, I just call it. And the master umpire again, shakes his head. No. And, and now both of them are really confused. And he looks at his two trainees and he says, guys, the ball ain't nothing till you call it. Hmm. And what I want to say to our listener is your life ain't nothing till you call it. And you get to decide. The question is, are you going to choose on purpose or are you going to let the survival mechanism, the drunk monkey, turn you into a victim? Sure. Because the drunk monkey loves to be a victim. That's one of the greatest ways to inspire support is to be a victim. And yet the transcendence, the release of victim is going to be one of the most important components in getting yourself to quiet your mind down so that you can live an epic life. Hmm. Let me let me ask you this question. Now you're talking about there are real and, and forget like being in the in the woods and being in actual survival mode, but there <laughs> but there are really negative circumstances that people face. Real pain, family yes. member deaths, you know, you're, t- you're talking about the virus it's there, happening. right? It's there, happening. there are people that that have like you lose your job and and you're struggling to find another one you yes. your spouse leaves you for somebody else so like there's there's this real pain that exists that uh that it's difficult to recontextualize how do you respond uh, what do you say to people that are going through that and and this because all of this sort of presupposes that what we're experiencing is uh a mental construct one it is a mental construct two it is painful Three, bad stuff really does happen. Uh, I'm opening up my book to tell you what day uh, to go to uh, in the daily practices. So day 17. So day 17, so if you if you download my app, you can just listen to it there for free or you can buy my book and it's in my book. But day 17 is a context that that basically proposes that destruction and creation are the same exact thing. They're just at different places in the timeline. And that the pain that we experience, the failure, the breakdown, the negativity that we experience is the beginning of the next transformation. Now that that next transformation is modified slower or faster based on one gear And that one gear is acceptance. The faster you accept something, the faster it transforms. What you resist will persist. What you accept will transform. So the objective when you are experiencing the real breakdowns, the real negativity, the real suffering, the real nasty stuff of life, life has all of that stuff in it. Mm -hmm. The game is to say that this breakdown is leading to a breakthrough. And I don't know what it is, but I'm going to experience this negativity fully and completely, and I'm going to accept it and embrace it. Then you might do something called a worst case scenario process. What I find is you get to positivity by being as negative as you possibly can. And people, especially people who are 
are oriented towards typical normal personal development, they, they are, they're almost taken back by this idea. But negativity is the way to positivity. Resisting negativity is a way of keeping it in place. So when you go through the really bad stuff, you actually confront the drunk monkey and you say, let's go to the worst possible thing that could happen. And you go all the way to the most negative, hardcore, nasty outcome you could possibly think of. And, you know, can let's be honest, the drunk monkey is pretty creative. Right. With the negativity. Sure. Then once you get to that negative state where you are experiencing deep, irrational negativity, then what there is to do is to make a plan. If that happens, here's what I'm going to do. Not here's how I'm going to avoid it. Not here's what I'm going to do to modify it. No. If this supremely negative thing occurs, these are the steps that I'm going to take to continue on and to continue forward. Now, when you do that, suddenly there's a release that occurs. And if you don't do that, then you will stay awake at night and you will be bothered by these ideas. The negativity of your life will consume you. What there is to do is to get as negative as you possibly can then accept that negativity and make a plan for that worst thing happening. And the moment you do, you regain your freedom, your creativity, your chutzpah, your energy, your joy, your, your, your mind expands. You go, well, wait a second. And all of a sudden you're just, you're off in a new direction. It's so amazing. Is this like uh, 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 hope for the best plan for the worst? I mean, is that, is that the kind of, not to distill it down, but I mean, is that kind of what you're saying? Is like a little is, bit, you, yeah, a little bit. I you, think I think it's more like don't don't let the drunk monkey in your head take you out with mm -hmm. its negativity. It's mm -hmm. like, oh yeah, you want to go there, drunk monkey? No problem. Let's go. And well, you go all the way. There is a pattern in some of the stuff in your relationship that you've described today with the drunk monkey, where you um, you have to engage with like. You want to get away from thinking like the drunk monkey, but you must. You, we are we are beholden to engage with the drunk monkey in its context, right? So yes. that means we have to when we're trying to find these sort of source emotions, these source ideas for our negative behavior patterns. Uh, uh, we need to go to that worst place and really embrace this idea um, of whatever that drunk monkey wants to do. So that, that drunk monkey is a, is a monkey of self-preservation, right? It wants you to look the right way in the context of a, of a tribe. It wants you to be the right thing. And its, context of, its concept of right is a survival concept. So by engaging with that, we then can dismantle it. Right? Neutralize it. Neutralize yeah, it. Can, yeah, in other words, it it is no longer spurred on by our resistance. We have these opposing intentions. I wanna have this great, amazing, incredible life. I want to survive. Those things oppose each other. Mm -hmm. And if we don't deal with and face and, and face down or neutralize the idea that I wanna survive, if we don't deal with that, then it distorts all that we want to create and all that we could be. It become it it literally pulls it down, and we become free when we are free from these irrational fears created by the drunk monkey. And what there is to do is to look at their underlying motivation. That's the hidden motives to to uh, survive. Mm. Mm. 
Okay, I I still feel like this requires a tremendous amount of practice, right? Like the <laughs> like 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 yeah. I, conceptually, I'm all yeah. in, right? Yeah. Man, I, I I'm I'm with you. I get it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know the the I, I've experienced flashes of this in my own life, but what I'm hearing you say too is that it's not just flashes. It's a it's a continuous. Yeah. It's the rest of your life. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's the rest of your life. So it's a it's a shift in the way in which you are relating to thoughts. And it's a shift in the way that you're relating to your situation and you're and you're practicing the the awareness of the drunk monkey and the awareness of the hidden motives. Then you're practicing connecting with the enlightened perspectives. And then ultimately, those three things lead to you recontextualizing naturally, recontextualizing the situations that you're in. Suddenly, you're at the at at Thanksgiving dinner, and your aunt is squawking the way that she always does, and all of a sudden, you don't hear her like I want to punch her in the face. You don't hear her like that anymore. You just go like, Oh wow, boy, she really is trying to fit in. Gosh, maybe she feels alone. And next thing you know, you're over there talking to her and loving on her and 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 helping her to to feel safe and to feel included. And you didn't you didn't make that decision. Mm-hmm. It's, that's what happens when you see the drunk monkey, you see the motives, you connect with these enlightened perspectives. You just instantaneously recontextualize. Does it take practice? Yes. Is it faster than meditation? so much faster. Do I love meditation? 100% love meditation. I have meditations on my, on my app for people to, to use, but my meditations in general are recontextualizations. Mm. I mean, it seems like too, this, this could be the key of where we we're living in an incredibly, at least in, in, uh, I mean, throughout the Western world, but in the United States in particular, we're living in a very polarized time where whichever side of the aisle you align, uh, there is a zero sum game with the people on the other side, right? Uh, that that they are they are the baddies they are the idiots and we are the good ones and and it's it's an alignment that is is kind of scary and is not um, conducive to compromise. So what I hear what I'm hearing is one of the corollaries of this is that this is a this is a method we could use in order to really reconnect with people who have opposing views from us. In fact, not only reconnect but appreciate and and understand. And what I find is, is that if we practice acceptance and then we look to appreciate what, what other people are going through or, or what we're experiencing, it automatically leads to gratitude Mm -hmm. and gratitude is like, it's like you change the, the frequencies, you change the colors. It's like, I accept it. I appreciate it. All of a sudden I become grateful. And then as soon as I do, everything changes. Mm -hmm. So you start with acceptance. Acceptance is the key. That's 100% the game changer. Practice total and complete acceptance of all people in all situations at all times, including yourself and watch the miracles happen. It'll blow your mind. Wow. Well, I mean, I think we're coming to the end of our time, and I think that is as good a place as any to stop. The book, Quiet Mind, Epic Life, link to where to buy it in the show notes. Matthew, there are two things that I ask to everybody. First and foremost, where can people follow up with you uh, aside from buying your book? Uh, They can go to MatthewFerry.com, or they can go onto the App Store and download my app. It's my gift. 
MatthewFerry.com. Link to that in the show notes. And there is a link at the bottom of that page to where to get the app. Uh, so check that out again, guys. Uh, the book, Quiet Mind, Epic Life. Link in the show notes as well as to the website, MatthewFerry.com. One last question. Ask it to everybody. What is one thing we can all start doing today that will make our lives a whole lot better? Stop relating to your mind like it is your friend and realize that your mind is just a survival mechanism. It's more like a GPS, and the GPS doesn't always know where to go. Use your discernment. Mm. Mm. It's true. Well, uh, thank you so much for your time, and I'm, we're going to have to have you back and dive deeper into this at some point. Woohoo! Let's do it. That's it for our show today. If you like the show, please rate, comment, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcast. It helps us out a lot when you guys do that. I appreciate that. If you guys want to follow up with us, Facebook.com slash John Tesh. We go live there all the time. John's also on Instagram at John Tesh underscore I-F-Y-L. And I'm Gib Gerard. You can find me at Facebook.com slash Gib Gerard or at Gib Gerard on Instagram and Twitter. I try to respond to every mention of the show, every uh, DM, uh, you know, every recommendation that you guys have for guests or, or topics because ultimately I do the show for you guys. So thank you so much for listening.